two, one. Welcome to the Meltzone podcast. It's May 21st. It's episode 15. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's topic, Tom bought himself a new TIG welder and is talking about the experience he made with his Jeep welding helmet that he bought for it. I have been doing a couple of nozzle wear tests and just trying to figure out how nozzles wear and what materials is really bad for them. And I'm going to well talk about that a little. And I'm also talking about some uh, research I'm currently doing on vapor smoothing. Does vapor smoothing actually, well, strengthen your parts? Does it really weld the layers together? Very interesting stuff. In the new section today, we talk about uh, biopolymers and, you know, they might not be as bio as you think. Um, Prusa has released their new Prusa Slicer 2, and I'm a bit sad because I'm not going to be able to say slick fair anymore, but it's all for, for a good cause. Um, so we're going to be talking about what news, new features that brings. And Lowspot has announced that their printers now have backlash compensation i think this could also this could almost be like our topic of the week we talk a lot about that and what could and could not happen there so the actual topic of the week this week this we're doing bi-weekly man we, it's not even topic of the week um we're discussing auto bed leveling or you know just using a z level and stuff whether you want a flat bed and what pros and cons that has and i'll try to convert stefan um onto the the light side of the force here <laughs> and at last in the questions we talk about if you can over dry your filaments and also if you can print a part that was sliced with a smaller nozzle diameter and just go a little bit into stl reconstruction which we also kind of well got mentioned in the comments for our last episode so, how is your eyesight doing, Tom? Yeah, well, eyesight is is fine, but it it keeps getting hammered. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, so, yeah, yeah, I, I I like my eyes. They're they're, they're kind of precious to me. Um, yeah, you know, as as you know, someone who's wearing glasses, you, you probably know as well that you know, not having perfect eyesight is, is kind of sucks. And it does. I've I've learned that. Cheaping out on PPE on personal protective equipment is not a, a good idea. So so often these these last few weeks. So you you bought yourself a TIG welder oh, a yeah. couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah, good fun, good fun. That, that oh that is a, TIG welding is very satisfying. <laughs> it, so yeah. you you bought yourself a whole set TIG welder, argon bottle, like yeah. different nozzles filler rods well i had i had nothing basically you had nothing you know i i needed i needed the mask uh the welder itself um you know argon argon bottles are surprisingly expensive i think i paid like 200 something euros for the for the 20 liter bottle which is like the standard size <laughs> that's but that's including like um deposit well, yeah, that, that's the deposit for the bottle, basically. Okay. So the, okay. the the way that they have it now is I I can just take my empty bottle to them and get a fresh one. It's it's like five minute. Uh, you know, they, there's a big metal shop from me that they have everything. Um, okay. I can just take it there, pay sixty five euros for a new, basically freshly filled bottle, and you know I don't have to do like the safety checkups on my bottle. I don't have, you know, 
whatever i just bring them my old one pay 65 bucks get a new one done and <laughs> yeah that, that's convenient and of course yeah um as we were talking about eyesight the um I also got myself a fancy, well, 26 bucks. Uh, <laughs> I should have known. Uh, you know, one of those auto-darkening helmets. Typically, you have, like, the yes. mask that you either flick down with your head or you, you like, have to hold it up somehow. But, you know, if, if you're TIG welding, you need both hands. Um, yeah. One for the filler rod and one for the torch, or typically the other way around if you're right-handed. Um, and, like, so so this doesn't work. Um, for, for those of you listening for audio, holding up the mask to your face, that does not work at all. Um, and also like flicking down if you have that sharp movement. TIG is a, is a, you know, you have to hold your torch really, really tightly and really precisely. So auto-darkening helmet, cheap one, doesn't work. Opened up like five times while I was welding. Thankfully, they're, they're supposedly still protecting UV, but uh, in infrared. Um, but I was just like, no, no, not not doing this. Um, so I got myself a, a 3M, 3M helmet there, the, the cheapest 10V one. Really nice. How much does it cost? So the 3M one is, I think, a hundred bucks roughly. Um, but it's still kind of fine for it's something like this, which is really crucial. Yeah, if you look at other auto darkening helmets, they're easily like 300, 400, 600 bucks, um, and for that, like it's it's so worth it. And also, I, I have I was working on the house today um, and was like grinding away at some uh, at some stucco. And I usually, you know, I have the full face shield and I have like the breathing protection and ear, all that. But still, like somehow some dust got into my eye. Now I have like this scratchy stucco grain uh, <laughs> next to my eyeball, which I can't get out. So that sucks. Um, so I'm not using just the shield again. Also got myself a full face mask for that. PPE, you have it forever, basically. Just don't cheap out. Like the good stuff is is definitely worth oh, it. Oh yes. Oh, we we got these like full head helmets from 3M with integrated filter and turbine with, at work. With the with a fan pack. With a belt, yes. Um, and we use that when we work on our DMSLA. D. Direct metal laser sintering machine. So basically when we work with metal powders. Yeah. And this is really, really nice to work with because you always have this nice, fresh breathe in your face. Yeah. Just don't fart. <laughs> oh, God. No, don't you have like activated carbon in there? <laughs> no, there's no activated. I don't know if there are filters with activated carbon. Yeah, I, I think uh, there. But this is basically just in like a really, really tiny filter there. And when you accidentally fart, it's <laughs> It's it's like the, the same when when you when you're just using a, a is it rebreather no but the, the, the face respirator. mask respirator yeah, yeah if if you're just uh, using that uh, yeah. and you burp in there it's kind of the same thing especially <laughs> if you had like garlic or, or something really really <laughs> spicy yeah not fun yeah um, so where did where did you actually buy your first helmet was it just a a Amazon cheapo or uh, essentially yeah so I bought all okay. my welding stuff from LCD Vision which is you know they're basically a relabeler and importer so all the stuff is Chinese white label stuff you can get the exact same welder with you know 20 different brandings on there okay. um, and yeah it's essentially it's a it's a China input with it with their label stuck to the side so okay but don't buy the cheap one. No, did you don't also buy, buy the the three M one there, or did you buy it at, um, from a reputable source? I bought the three M one from Amazon. Okay. Um, you know, shame me for buying on on Amazon and supporting. You know, whatever. <laughs> They're convenient. 
<laughs> I'm not perfect. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, nice. So yeah, your housework is just proceeding. Yeah, there's, there's, well. a, bit of, there's a bit of a break because next week I'm I'm in the Czech Republic. Uh, oh, yeah, you're the on the Cool. Yeah, no, no, no trip with like destination this time, but it's just you know one hotel and we we like take day tours. Really relaxed, cool. really chill this time. <laughs> I haven't been able to go cycling for the last two weeks or something like that because just always the weather is horrible. I don't know. Really looking forward to better weather and just getting getting on the bike again. Yeah, yeah. On the topic of of weather, you've been you've been getting hammered by the weather. Yeah, we have almost got flooded right here. Uh, so I live close to the well German Alps um, or to the European Alps, uh, just near Lake Constance. And we had horrible rain for the last two days. And I just lived next to a river. And this has, well, it has been growing quite a bit. And just this morning when I, um, well, headed off to work, it was kind of at the tip and we were... Well, we were quite fortunate that it's that the rain died down a little bit. So now it's yeah. fine again, but still everything is flooded. All the um, all the uh, all the countryside is just big puddles of of water there. Yeah, but you, but, you can you can at least like you don't have. Uh, by the way, houses here in Germany typically have basements, so yes. those are below ground level, as the name <laughs> implies. Uh, so if those flood, like it's it's not like you open a door and the stuff just pours back out. No, no, no. <laughs> it's once those get wet, it's a bit of a mess. Um, mm. But it, well, it, it's not like you can't go outside and drive your car. It's not like the roads are flooded, anything or anything, right? No, n not that. Well, the the drainage system on systems on German roads is pretty good. It has been kind of rough today a little when I got back home from work but it's still fine it's not like uh, you have to be afraid of uh, swimming away just just when it was in the basement yesterday night and uh, was working on my cnc i thought damn it what would happen if my basement is gonna flood yeah <laughs> what of uh, the things what what of the things will be the first ones you kind of rescue out of there <laughs> yeah i mean if you have if you still have power you can at least get a pump in there and kind of yeah slowly get it back out um so like mm -hmm. worst case is power cuts out mm -hmm. and you're just left yeah. with you know water levels slowly rising yeah um ever since Buckets. we had water in our basement i started packing everything into plastic containers um you know that, that are just gonna start swimming hopefully that's that's the plan <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's gonna start floating well i have a water detector in the basement it's well so if something like that would happen at night, I even would recognize it, or I at least would recognize it. But still, yeah, we have pumps right here, but if electricity cuts out, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. I thought about buying a, a cheap two-stroke um, electric generator for exactly that purpose, but I didn't do it yet. And probably I will need it the first time when it's already too late. Yeah, that, that's always the thing with, with not buying the things you think you mm -hmm. may need. Um, usually buy them once you would have needed them and then never use them. Um, yeah. They also, by the way, they also make like direct gas powered pumps if if you look into those. And they're not that horribly expensive. Yeah, I gotta cheaper. check that. Cheaper than, than having a wet basement and, you know, getting everything ruined. <laughs> well, at least if you have an electric generator, uh, you could also use it for other purposes like, well... I don't know if it's that good for camping, but... 
but there might be other purpose to use it for yeah. uh, if you just have the the pump. But the pump is probably more efficient. So with the same amount of power, you get way more more water out of your basement. Probably. But yeah, so that's it. Hopefully, it's getting better, and um, I can just get on the bike and not just sit in front of my PC working all day because that is just that can get too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, PC work. I mean, you, you get stuff done, but it's to a point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you have been working on your TIG welding. I, well, as I just said, yeah, I had been um, working on my CNC yesterday a little bit. I finished my nozzle wear, wear tests, or at least I think I finished them <laughs> for, for the moment. It was kind of hard to get the nozzles to really wear out, but it was kind of interesting in the end. And just yesterday, I just milled all of them open to take a look on the inside. I have a an old microscope right here for some pretty pictures. Right, I was going to ask like, what, what lens are you using for those nice shots? But I don't think a lens gets you very far. Ah, my 30 millimeter macro lens is doing really, really well. So the pictures I've posted on Twitter, like, uh, two weeks ago or something yep. like that they were all made with my 30 millimeter macro lens and hmm. i'll be doing most of the shots with that as well okay i made myself uh, an adapter for the microscope where you can just pop my camera in yep. and then um, take pictures with it but the the macro lens is almost as good very nice so it's really nice i hope to be able to finish the the video until something like next week so looking forward to that how, how many nozzles did he go through I actually just really ruined one. Uh, so the glow-in-the-dark filament didn't do much. At least the um, dust filament glow-in-the-dark. And they also told me that, yeah, they would not know they, that it is really abrasive. I think we talked about that already yesterday, uh, last Possibly. podcast. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, the carbon fiber filled material, that is kind of crazy. So... They printing have a... carbon fiber filled materials with a brass nozzle will wear it down very quickly. Do you have a PTG or a nylon? Or both? A PTG. PTG. Yeah, so the CF20 color fab. Yeah, exactly. Right. I had just some left and, and I think I printed like 300 grams of the material and it totally wore the nozzle down. Yeah. And it's really interesting to take a look at the nozzle itself. And the thing is, I thought that the, well, the orifice will wear out. So the the small bore, right? But the thing is, that is not really wearing down. Uh, the thing that is wearing down is the nozzle tip. So the nozzle is essentially getting shorter and and rounder shorter, and, shorter and shorter. Yeah. And as soon as you hit like the tip of the inner bore, also the diameter of the bore. Of course, because it's it's a tapered hole there. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I think this is more or less the process, as, as at least if you work with really highly abrasive materials. Yeah. But did he, did he actually get to the point where where you get into that tapered bore section? Just, just holy crap! That that's just, that's quite a that's a bit of a distance. <laughs> I think that's like half think, a millimeter or something like that with three hundred grams of material. Yeah. Wow. It wears down quickly. You, you probably if if you're looking for it, you probably see that that gold shine in in your prints from the from the worn down <laughs> brass if you're looking for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> metal okay. filled filament the yeah. easy way yeah and i'm also <laughs> not the cheap take... way <laughs> yeah not the cheap way well um a pack of five of these nozzles was 
two dollars delivered from China. So All right, so we, we you weren't grinding down the original E three D ones. No, well, I didn't actually have this many, and I didn't want to ruin my my good E three D nozzles. But um, so I printed lots of like comparison banshees uh, before the wear test, after the wear test, uh, Chinese nozzle against E3D nozzle against nozzle X and things like these. And the results were pretty interesting. And I also printed like I, I had the same G code file sliced for an 0.4 millimeter nozzle. And I printed it with nozzles from 0.25 millimeters all the way up to 0.8 millimeters to simulate the wear of the nozzle. Right. At that point, I didn't know yet that the tip of the nozzle will wear. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, but I mean, that, that's what you assume, right? When yeah. when, you, when you see that there's a small orifice and you're pushing stuff through it, then of course that's going to grind out. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot. It makes sense because there's a lot more movement mm. Like, mm. on the nozzle scratching over your print. Mm. The thing which was pretty interesting, and I only printed that sample yesterday, was the Benchy sliced at 0.4 millimeters printed with the 0.25 millimeter nozzle that is kind of the best looking benchy which is interesting i need to investigate that, that right. a little bit more that's something i probably will be doing later today just to really put all of the the models next to each other mm -hmm. um you kind of see that the um the quality of the models start to degenerate as as soon as you're getting to like a nozzle size of 0.6 millimeters or something like that, but still yeah. not that bad. So um, if you wouldn't know that, you could also just think, yeah, the material is not the best anymore. Mm. So it's it's kind of robust, that system. Yeah. Um, well, at least in terms of nozzle diameter. Yeah, 3D printing, in, in, well, in general, is something that I found, or FDM 3D printing, <laughs> to be very specific there, is something that I found <laughs> to be just very robust against, you know, settings that aren't quite right or, um, what was it, from extrusion width, like you said, like if you have mm -hmm. a, the extrusion width of a 0.4 million nozzle, use a small nozzle, it doesn't matter much and maybe it's mm -hmm. even better than, than using the correct one. Yeah. Um, but also in terms of, oh, this overhang is failing. Like the print is going to recover. It's going to build up like yeah. spaghetti underneath and then it's going to keep on printing that's something that yeah. is that is really nice with fdm you can you can have so much go wrong and still get a usable or good mm. well usable print let's not call it a good print but a yeah. usable usable printer <laughs> i think it's also what makes the technology attractive right yeah definitely uh something which well i actually received at murph and which i found really handy did you also get one of these Olsen, Olsen yeah. like nozzle tightening tools. Did you already use it? I, I got one, I think, last year. Um, okay. So I've, I've, I have been using it for a while. So this is an SLS printed nozzle torque wrench, which has a special short socket on there and will torque out at around one newton meter of yeah. torque. And I have been changing tons of nozzles over the last weeks. And, and it works as a ratchet, right? So you, you can loosen with maximum torque. Yes. Yeah. And you, well, uh, when you tighten it, it will just like um, jump one tooth ahead uh, when you have yeah. reached the torque. And this is just telling you that you have uh, like kind of pushed enough. And it, oh, I love it. I really love it. So um, 
they told me that they have delivered, I think, the first batch to a couple of resellers. Um, if anybody out there is regularly changing nozzles, get one of these. I really like it. There is, I think, with the old Ruby nozzle, they had an, just a normal FDM 3D printed tall wrench with kind of a similar design. It looked like an ice cone. Do you remember I've, that I've, one? I don't think I do. Okay, um, and this is just kind of the improved, really nice version, which also where also the um, the torque is really consistent. So if you're three D printing a torque wrench at home, the problem always is depending on the material and the tolerances of your printer. Yeah. I guess the torque it will just like slip through is largely varying. Well, depending on on these parameters, because stiffness changes, uh, tolerances can change, and all of that. So, yeah, kind of nice tool. Really like it. Yeah, I, I've always been using the um, not injection molded, uh, just the the aluminum Tamiya wrenches that they include ah, okay. with like the Tamiya RC card kits, mm-hmm. and that has a, I think a six millimeter and a seven millimeter um, socket on the sides, and then mm-hmm. a four and a five on the on the ninety degree. Uh, it looks like a like a miniature you know car we uh, yeah. car nut tool that lug nut tool that's that's the word um yeah but it's it's aluminum so you use it on a hot hot and then it, the tool itself also gets quite <laughs> toasty so yeah not not the best material for that yeah i was always using like a really big ratchet ratchet before and there it was always okay is it now too tight is it too loose yeah. and something like that and that really helps if you're not changing nozzles that often, it's probably not necessary. I think it's 20 bucks or something like that. But I really enjoy, enjoyed using it. And well, after the nozzle wear test, I'm uh, I'm planning to do the really like nozzle comparison tests. And for this, it will also be really nice again to just switch out nozzles um, in a way that you always have a consistent torque in the end. All right. So you're going to be looking into print quality and... Yes. Temperature variances and all that between different nozzles. Yeah. Or optimal I, temperatures, I guess. Yeah. Well, optimal temperatures. I cannot oh. tune profiles for each for each of the nozzles. Well, I I could, but it's just I too mean, much if, time and if effort. If you're including some of the more exotic ones, um, well, at, at least to, to get like a, a rough idea of okay, this well, is this is what it looks like printed at one ninety, two ten, yeah. and two thirty. Um, if That's you have something actually, like a stainless nozzle, um, yes, those are like really extreme. They need so much more temperature. I th- well, I didn't, I didn't own a stainless steel nozzle so far, and I didn't want to include one because, in my opinion, a stainless steel nozzle is pointless if you're not printing like food safe materials. And even then, it's like, dude. But on. yesterday, yeah. But yesterday, I um, just. Uh, shopped at e3d and i um also bought myself a stainless steel nozzle for that comparison and i'm as i as you just said i'm thinking about just printing samples at like the lowest recommended temperature and the kind of highest recommended temperature and somewhere in the middle and just to see how different nozzles compare there yeah but as always keep in mind temperatures that your printer reads may not be the same temperature that an, that another printer reads even even when you have like the same e3d hot and the same genuine e3d yeah. hot and the same you know mainboard and all components have tolerances both the thermistor and the pull-up resistors and all those those are not like super high precision parts so like a 10 degree variance between printers is nothing out of the ordinary yeah um so really if, if you have a temperature value where it makes sense if you have it relative to another nozzle or material on the same machine exactly 
So I'm I'm really looking forward to that because I haven't really seen that many comparisons so far, and that might be something interesting. Yeah, yeah. and I'm also uh, also something which I had been asking myself for ages: Does vapor smoothing increase the strength of your 3D prints? So I have a couple of ABS samples, uh, vapor smoothed with acetone and some. Uh, Polymaker, poly, poly smooth, poly smooth? Yeah. yeah, that is smooth. IPA smooth, exactly. Yeah, so I smoothed them at the end of last week. I will let them um, evaporate even more for like a couple of more days because at the beginning there's still kind of a lot of the um, the solvent, the, the solvent yeah. in the material, and that makes the part. A soft uh, so you need to let it sit outside for a while until you kind of get back to the same strength as it was before and i'm really looking forward to the results i already yeah. did um one of these tests in one of my filament test videos with asa and it didn't change anything so i'm really looking forward to seeing the results in a more controlled manner so you you did do uh polysmooth you did do abs with uh, acetone did you also do pla with uh Benjigo? Uh, with the, chloroform? Um, with chloroform, yeah. Uh, no. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> Too dangerous. Okay. And, yeah. May, brush, maybe brushing for some, some 3D gloop on it, which is not chloroform, but very similar. Yeah. I could have actually done that maybe for another video. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. So, lots of things going on at, at the moment. I always need to just tell myself okay finish one project after well <laughs> yeah. before you start like three other ones yeah but it's it's it's, it's more <laughs> fun to start new stuff and to to dive into you know new projects and to actually yeah, because, do the, because the, the grunt because work. the tests are in the beginning really interesting and as soon as you get to getting all the data together writing a script uh doing the voiceover filming b-roll and then finishing yeah. the video that is so much effort and that's the actual work, you know? <laughs> That's the actual work before it's yeah. fun. Yeah, we'll see. Sometimes I think our, our jobs uh, on, on YouTube here would be so much easier if we just had a blog and just had, you know, two or three photos and we didn't oh, have to yes. do all the, oh, yes. you know, performing and shooting B-roll and editing. It would just be like five photos, a few graphs and you're done. Yeah. Of course, the, the uh, script, but... I think about that quite often. Uh, so we, I think we talked about that before, but for me, it's like for every minute of video, it's at least two hours of work. Yeah, that's pretty much and my ratio too. <laughs> and that doesn't include like yeah, answering emails, oh, yeah. answering comments, and all of the other like social media work you do around that. All of the meta stuff, <sighs> the work that you do so you can do work. I, I would sometimes really enjoy to be just like, a beauty blogger, vlogger, just standing in front of a mirror and like trying out the new, the, the latest <laughs> beauty things, creams and things like these. But the amount of communication they have to do with brands so they get all the sponsorship <clears throat> and all the, the deals with them, that's, that's going to be, you know, work to set up too. It's definitely going to be work, but yeah, mm, yeah. I don't know. Oh, well. yeah. The grass <laughs> just... is always greener on the other side, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's continue with news. Yeah. Shall we move on? We've got a th three topics here. 
The first one, uh, this is a German article, and I think it's been discussed in um, in Vrindt, German blog, uh, podcast too, if, if some of you are listening to that. Uh, shout out to, to Vrindt. Um, basically, biopolymers are not as biodegradable as, you know, could, could, could be assumed. Well, not as, as advertised, because I'm not sure how much that's actually being, or how correctly that's actually being advertised. So... Let's take a step back. So our materials that we're printing, um, let's say PLA, PTG, ABS, or styrene-based stuff. Um, styrene, obviously, that is based on oil. So that's not a biopolymer. PTG, also, I think, based on oil. Yeah. So definitely somehow based on oil. Also not a biopolymer. PLA, based on cornstarch or other starches or sugars. So that is a biopolymer, and it is biodegradable. But the biodegradability of PLA is not in the way where you just chuck it into your um, into your compost pile and you know two weeks later it's gone like uh, you know those um, those packing flakes that you have mm-hmm. uh, which are like cornstarch puffed up. Um, so PLA does need like an industrial high temperature composter to actually degrade, um, and that. Of course, it's not something that, you, that you're going to get if you just, you know, throw it in the bin or, you know, the, the entire topic of, okay, we have so much microplastics uh, migrating into the oceans or we have just plastic foils and plastic junk uh, swimming around. PLA doesn't really solve that. Um, I guess squirrels do like to chew on it. And if it goes through like our internal, you know, biocomposter, then it may get like used uh, for, for starch, for sugars. But really, just out in nature, I don't. It, it doesn't degrade much. So well, and probably if you're well talking about three D printing filaments, it's not just pure PLA. You have the additives, and I don't know what the additives are based on. If you have like tough PLA where you put elastomers in there, yeah, maybe that's also not like totally biodegradable. Well, the, the base PLA, as far as I understand, it would still be degradable. But of course, there's all this other stuff now attached to it, so. I guess that would just break down into like microplastics. I don't know. So this study that um, in this case, um, we're going to link to this. This is on Cynix, uh, German site is specifically um, going on. I think about like PET alternative bioplastics. And basically, yeah, it's the same thing. Like they're, they're looking at um, grocery bags, like plastic grocery bags. Mm. They're essentially looking at these and going like, okay, three years out in the wild, some of the bioplastics are just like, like as new. Like mm. you, you literally pick it up and it's a perfectly usable grocery bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that there are some compostable plastics, which are, I don't know what they're based on, LG or whatever. Um, and that was a bit better. So they're saying like a, a grocery bag, which is a very thin film of material. So it's like the mm. best case, basically. Um, after 27 months, it was still it still had a bag shape, but was starting to degrade. So it couldn't <laughs> it couldn't handle any weight anymore. But so like the, the question with, with that is, OK, it's compostable. But like you said, with all the additives, what is actually getting composted? Um, is it was it just the additives that were still in that bag and giving it its bag shape and those mm. just basically crimple down or crimple 
<laughs> those just just break down to uh to like microplastics and now you have this plastic dust that still doesn't rot or decompose so yeah unless it's like really like algae or stuff that you could eat essentially and that would get yeah what's the word totally uh, digested yeah yeah that that gets made used yeah digested let's stick with that <laughs> it gets digested by your internal um digestive system then you probably shouldn't assume that it's you know any more bio-friendly at least in the in the disposal process than mm -hmm. traditional materials and even i think the compostable like plastic compost bags um they are not actually appreciated by the composting companies because their life cycle of their compost pile is not long enough that they totally well degenerate and fall apart so they still have like bits and uh, uh, bits and pieces of of like the bags left over in the end so you should rather rather use um like um paper bags for that yeah yeah that I, I think that's the exact polymer type that they're saying you know, like 27 months is yeah. how long it would take that bag to start breaking down and 27 months in, a, in an industrial composting facility i think that's that's way longer than their cyclist so they'd, they'd have to shred everything or i don't know <laughs> i don't know what, what they do with their bio waste on other news uh <laughs> <laughs> Something which, uh, well, where actually Joseph Prusha himself mentioned you in the announcement. <laughs> yeah, I am famous. You are so famous. <laughs> uh, Slick 3R Prusha Edition, or how, how some might call it, uh, Slicer Prusha Edition, was renamed to Prusha Slicer and was just released like this morning in, uh, well, as like Prusha Slicer version 2.0. Yeah. Which is really nice. And it's not just an, a rename. No. I mean, okay, so so to be totally fair, the rename, I mean, Prusha has been hinting at that for a while, I think for at least half a year. And it was renamed on GitHub already like two or three weeks ago. Okay, so yeah. yeah. One could have seen that coming, though apparently the, the executable is it's still called slickthr.exe. So yeah, it's not, just, it's not just a rename. It's not the same product in a new package. Well, Technically, it is. It's still the same slicer core behind it. But it's now a, a much more usable interface, more powerful and usable um, interface that, that lets you, you know, scale, move, modify, you know, all the modify measures, support enforcement stuff. That's that, that's been in Slickthrow Push Edition for a while, but now it's actually, it's, it's more available to you. So... You can get to those features a bit easier. Um, also, it has that, that feature where it kind of hides the settings from you. Um, mm -hmm. There's like a three-tier system where it's easy, or beginner, intermediate, and, and advanced, or something along those lines. Green, yellow, and red settings. So you can choose how much you want to see. So if you you know are just starting out, you stick with a, a ready-made profile. You just use your, your green, easy settings, and you can still tweak the print, and you can make mm -hmm. it do different things but you're not ruining the profile so that's really nice and it's also i think the first yeah the, the beta edition has been supporting it but the first release that's supporting the so one so the so one so now we have a um a well supported i, I guess um sla slicer for lcd based cool. yeah come again 
Did, did you did you uh, or do you actually know if uh, Prusa con control died that way? So Prusa control isn't anymore so. and it's only Prusa slicer now. I guess I could download the, the driver package because that, that would offer both. But um, I think that there, there have always been plans to kind of merge those two back together. Prusa Control was more like an, an experiment, more like, a you know, let's let's try out what works for an interface and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see so many things from Prusa Control have made it into Prusa Slicer or the, the old Slick Theory Prusa Edition betas that are now uh, Prusa Slicer. I don't think there's much of a need for um i i think prusha they said in the video that like the beginner level of prusha slicer is more or less prusha control now yeah definitely i mean yeah totally makes sense the, yeah the GUI still looks at least for the settings kind of old-fashioned and just like slick 3r looked in the past and it might be overwhelming for some but with uh the level system it still makes it kind of accessible yeah and again it is still it's still the same slicing engines and as soon as you go into like the mm -hmm. print uh filament and printer settings it's it's the same software right it's the same core behind it um it's just that the interface has slightly changed mm -hmm. and of course with it being the same core it also means that yes of course you can bring over your uh slick rpe profiles that you've tuned in and transfer them into uh Prusa slice i don't know if it actually auto transfers it um the beta did mm. but yeah it's so it's I've, the same same mm. slicer in the background i've also been working with the beta versions and i was really happy with those and also what maybe some don't really know uh prusa slicer is not only compatible with prusa printers you can use it for any 3d printer which accepts g-code so if you right. guys have a CR10, just create a profile in there and you will be happy. I, I really enjoy using it. And it has support customization now, uh, modifier meshes and all of the things which are really, really interesting. The interface is nice as soon as you get used to it and uh, as you get used to the workflow. So I really enjoyed using it and I've been using it a ton in the past because also the like artillery 3D um, only comes with a profile for Slick 3R or right. came with a profile for Slick 3R. So I just started with it right away, even though the profile was crap. But yeah, just just create a custom profile and only tune your retractions. We talked about that in the last uh, podcast and you'll be all set. You will be really satisfied with the, with the results in the past. Uh, in the, you will be satisfied with the results uh, of, of your prints you, made, uh, you make with it. Yeah, there is. So yeah, um, Prusa Slicer still has that that feature for custom printers. I, I think the things you need to change is layer height because by default it slices at 0 0.3. And I think nozzle height is also set wrong or 2.5, which is uh, might just be an old default. But the, um, the profile that you get with the custom printer setting is is you know it's not just like oh everything is at 60 millimeters a second no it's it's also tuned in where perimeters are slower and bridges have their, their correct settings and all that so yeah definitely still you know an alternative to slick theory and it's always going to be that way i think it's just now more officially well, it's always been labeled pressure edition but yeah it's just not called slick theory anymore 
The thing I'm really excited about, and I was missing that in the earlier beta releases, is that supposedly, as I have read in the release notes, uh, well, you can use Prusa Slicer now to create supports for SLA or MSLA prints. And it wasn't, you weren't able before to export your model, including the supports as an STL. So you couldn't use those supports then with another software to create uh, right. the code or the images or things like these for your um, MSLA printer. And I was struggling with that because the software that is delivered with my DAS 3D uh, MSLA printer, oh, it's just horrible to use. It's it's fine to send the files to the printer, but creating uh, supports is, is just a mess. And I was looking for an alternative and uh, the supports in... Uh, Prusa Slicer are really nice. They're really a, a really easy to customize, and I just was hoping for an option to export the whole model, including the the supports as an STL. But that wasn't supported in the beginning, and I thought in the beginning they were kind of protecting themselves. But uh, yeah, like good Prusa that you made that happen. Um, yeah, you can export them now, and you can oh, use okay. the supported. You can use the supported or the supports from Prusa Slicer um, for any other like MSLA slicer. Right. Um, but but here's the other thing. So the SLA slicer part of Prusa Slicer, that's also compatible with other printers, right? Because it just outputs a, a PNG or something. Yeah, like so. a PNG archive. But for example, on my DAS printer, you have to connect it via a LAN connection, and you only have right. access to with that software. It, it's bad. So but I that, think the Anycubic ones with, are. Yeah, it's not a problem with with Prusa's license. It's a problem with the DAS yeah. printer itself. Yes, exactly, because it's more closed. Yeah. So all right, that's a nice thing. Looking forward to well trying it out. Yeah, I've not used the SLA part in in Prusa's license at all because. Uh, well, my... they have orientation optimization, which is. Right. Kind of nice in the first place, um, and then the automatic supports and also the the customization of the uh, supports works kind of streamlined. Okay, nice, pretty cool. Yeah, let's see if I can manage to get an SL one at some point to test. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want? Do you want one with your uh, like uh, bad experiences with the, with resin or something like that? I don't know. I want to see how well they've they've handled that entire resin thing, where minimizing exposure and all that. Um, so, so you so the... you would actually be a a perfect customer. <laughs> yeah, if it works with the with the curva. Uh, no, what is it called? Well, the CW one. CW right. on curing okay. and washing station. Okay. Um, yeah. Something. Something interesting, which also popped up last week on Twitter. Oh, it was probably also released somewhere else, but uh, I have noticed that Lulzbot have, well, posted something that their new printer or firmware or, yeah, printer, I think, does include a backlash compensation. And, well, they kind of said it's the new cool thing for, like, getting really geometrically accurate parts so i was kind of curious because i always thought okay i use like timing belts on my printer i shouldn't have any backlash 
So I was answering to that tweet. Uh, is it really necessary? Nobody answered me. <laughs> uh, and I was also kind of curious because they have shown in the video their settings for the backlash and it was in the range of like 0.2 millimeters which, which is, is a lot which is a lot and way more than i have for example on my cnc router which has like only trapezoidal lead screws in there All right so either their system is horribly bad or it was just marketing bogus hmm. it's weird um all right so, so I did yeah so I, I, I did some research because I was really curious about that. And I have found a couple of entries in the Marlin or on the Marlin GitHub where somebody from Lulzbot was asking, okay, is backlash compensation, which is, uh, is backlash compensation something you can do with Marlin? And this has been implemented for, for quite a while in there. You just have to activate it. Um, and as far as I remember, they were saying that they had problems with their C-axis because their C-axis is belt-driven. And the backlash they had on their C-axis was causing them to get uneven first layers due to, I think, like auto-bed mesh leveling. Auto-mesh bed leveling this way. Yeah, well, if you have backlash on the Z-axis, it's not just the first layer because it's like you go you go one direction and it's lower and you go back and it's at a higher yeah. or the other way around level depending on on your slope so so i looks, i kind of think how yeah. are i kind of have the fear that they are promoting this well issue they had due to their design as a totally nice new feature which is helping them um well to get the printer even probably proper properly working in the first place I don't think so. I mean, I've I've used the the Taz five. I've I've reviewed it. I, I still have the Loadspot Mini, and it's. Well, first of all, I'm not sure if they're actually using GT two belts. They may be using like an MXL or some some weird belt type, which may actually have an issue with backlash. Not sure on that, but just in general, like, I, how could a belt system have so, especially zero point two? millimeters of backlash mm. um i it's at least not in the way like how you would typically think about backlash so we move in one direction and then in, if you want to go straight back like you have that delay so you, your spindle turns for a bit before anything starts moving mm. with a belt because you have friction there um it may be that the teeth on right on one side of the of the pulley and then as you as it turns like after a turn or two like well, hold on so it would turn this way and then would start going the other way and then slip a bit and then start catching on the other side so exactly it wouldn't be like an immediate backlash like if you have with a with a cnc with a lead screw it would be more yep. like a gradual thing and i so feel like you can maybe see that on some prints actually if you have if you have like uh, on the 3d bench on the cabin where you have that l-shaped like front segment where it's mm -hmm. the, the the door basically that has yeah. that some perimeters go clockwise some go anti-clockwise and i think in that like inner 90 degree angle it looks like there is something happening there that could be backlash i yeah i have noticed that as well and you can find some posts on that 
on the Moreland GitHub and on some other places. But I actually, well, got my dial gauges up here and measured at least the backlash on the artillery 3D printer. And it was like one hundredth of a millimeter on the x-axis and two hundredth of a millimeter on the y-axis. And this is like one magnitude lower than what I was seeing, at least in the promo video. So I don't were think you, that... Were you measuring like the immediate backlash or were you giving like a, a two millimeter or five millimeter kind of spin up? Well, my dial gauge only goes like plus minus one millimeter. So I okay. was only able to um, really like go that distance. Um, but I didn't see that closely that much backlash as well in my opinion, would be something you should really be worrying about. But I, I thought about, um, does, well, is it, does it make sense to really research that topic a little bit more? Um, turn that feature on in the Marlin firmware and just try it out and see if it changes something on your, um, for your, uh, for your print quality. But as I said, seeing like a backlash of one hundredth of a millimeter that's in inches how much is that in inches that's like half a thou half a thou yeah. which which you can probably see but you won't be able to to feel and measure anything here's the other thing that that I'm thinking about um did I just forget what I was thinking about <laughs> You 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 threw me off with your thou with your thou. <laughs> um, yeah yeah okay. Um, what we are thinking about is mechanical backlash yeah. in like the drivers and the pulleys and and all that. But what if you look at what's before that? What if you look at the stepper motor itself? Because a stepper motor isn't a perfect system. A stepper motor only produces torque if it's actually off from its perfect position mm -hmm. it's actually it's only producing torque if it has a difference between its like electrical position and mm -hmm. its mechanical position so that means because every axis has drag even if it's just a little bit a stepper motor will have backlash just naturally yeah um so if you have an axis that is like very close to the torque limit of your motor that's that's requiring a lot of torque from from that motor then you will actually have it at least as long as the the axis is moving Mm -hmm. um, once it's static, it, it might creep back to its like ideal position. But as long as it's moving, it's it's having that like drag effect, like it's being dragged on a rubber rope. And also, but also I'm perfectly no, uh, definitely not uh, rigid. But, yeah, <laughs> but but still, I think it should be it should be really minimal. And as I said, the things I have measured in the range of one hundredth of a millimeter, this is something which kind of seems plausible if you take a look at the mechanical setup, if you take a look at the stepper motor itself. And for the stepper motor, the backlash shouldn't be bigger than one step. And if you have like a, usually yeah. a 200 step per revolution stepper with micro stepping, that's like, that's like a lot. I don't know. I don't know the exact value for one step in millimeter, but it, it should yes. be also in the range of like a few a, microns, yeah. A, a thousands of a millimeter so yeah, yeah. um but i mean the, the, the thing is if you 
if if you add all that up, um, well, it's just just a stepper motor itself. If you if you actually try and 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 twist the axis of a stepper motor, mm. um, or the shaft of a stepper motor, you can actually visibly see that you can turn it a bit before it skips a step. Mm. It, it, it it's like a spring in there. Yeah. Um, so it it all adds up, and while we're very good at measuring like positions statically, mm. like like you did with the uh, with the with the indicator. Um, it's really hard to measure stuff dynamically. And it could be that, you know, backlash compensation actually makes sense. Even if it's not like the exact perfect approach to this, if we, mm. we probably need something a bit more advanced to compensate for like a spring and damper system that we essentially have. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't want to rule out that this is something that can help. Well, if if somebody currently listening has any information and that or would also find that topic interesting, yeah, leave a comment and I don't know, maybe some some of us might might be doing some more research in in that direction, which which I find kind of interesting. Yeah. If you can see a lot more things on a print than you can measure probably. It's aesthetically. So, yeah, yeah a print is always dynamic and mm. for example that that L shape on the benchy mm. you can definitely see that if that was backlash and if this backlash compensation did something against it you can't see it especially with reflective filaments we have like different shading and, and specular highlights on there yeah <sighs> so yeah this might be yeah. actually a, a good well way of measuring it or actually tuning it having like a part where you do perimeters clockwise and counterclockwise and see at which point you get the best results so yeah maybe something interesting to investigate for the future for sure for sure cool all right are we done no we are not done. <laughs> uh we, we, before we started this episode we were like ah cool we only have a handful of topics this should be a short one right we are already like 15 minutes in so yes yeah. but we got a, we got a ton of good comments saying like hey yeah you know keep keep doing the long episodes keep keep talking as long as you want <laughs> you know if you're in the car like you're you're, you're not going anywhere as a listener so haha <laughs> all right topic of the week shall we talk about auto bed leveling which itself is is wrong like you're not but okay or uh z leveling end stops so it's so, not leveling yeah it's tramming <laughs> exactly so i have been discussing that questions ah, so many times already and ah, why doesn't this printer have auto bed leveling because auto bed leveling is the new cool thing well, it's I am been cool for a while <laughs> it's been cool for, for a while yeah exactly so the thing is what I've always been saying uh, bed level or auto bed leveling for me which is more or less mathematically compens compensating for a nut level bed Tram. tramming um <laughs> which is in my opinion just like doctoring on on symptoms uh i really prefer having a bed that i can manually level and then just starting from that and if you have a bed that is level in the beginning well you have been you've been doing the tests with the distortion during heat up so um there yeah. is there is the problem that some of the bats just warp 
during uh, during heat up. But if you have a bed that is kind of level in the warm state, I don't think that auto bed leveling is something that good. It's just yeah, trying to to fix a problem that could be properly fixed in another way. I have been putting the point C level end stop there or C end stop there because the problem I sometimes have on printers or I often have on printers that do not have auto bed leveling or something like that is that if I'm printing with different temperatures for the nozzle and for the bed, the first layer thickness might vary. So in my opinion, auto bed leveling shouldn't be necessary if you have a proper bed but to have a physical end stop that is touching the bed like a bl touch is something to get a nice first layer thickness but again the problem with something like a bl touch it doesn't compensate for the thermal expansion of the nozzle for example so i don't know what 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 is your take on that do you prefer printers that do auto bed leveling and regardless of how clunky the bed is or do you also prefer just properly leveling your bed in the first place and then that's fine okay where where, where do i start (laughs) um i'm happy with any bed that is or with any setup that gets you a consistent first layer because that that's what it's all about right it's it's to get that first layer like nice and 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 smooth on there so that every part sticks and that yeah well that, that layer is consistent and predictable i appreciate any system that gets you that however i think that having a setup that allows you to have a especially larger sizes um that allows you to have a flat and tram bed is much harder to achieve with just mechanicals. For example, having a, a thick milled aluminum sheet mm. um, and like nice backlash or, or wobble-free adjustment points. Like, yes, you can do that, but it's going to be much more effort and much more, um, well, monetary investment to make that work versus having a system that you know requires no user input essentially other than, than the height and correcting for that in software if we if we want to bring out the good old car analogies um you're the guy who says okay here we, we can we can build v8 engines you know because that's that's what you do to get horsepower right 5.6 liter uh of displacement like sweet solved done i'm the guy who's like well you know we, we can also like build a lighter car and we can do like the 1.2 liter turbocharged uh and like direct injection thing you know it's probably a bit quicker <laughs> um and it's it's you know it's different solutions to the same issue it's just that, that i'm seeing that putting a probe on a printer because the, the the software is there like right it's it's supported it's it doesn't mm-hmm. add any cost and the only cost is a sensor and the sensors are like five bucks or something along those lines the bio touch is probably a bit more expensive but still way cheaper than getting a nice flat aluminum sheet um getting a y-axis if you have a moving bed y-axis setup that can move that without backlash at a decent speed um having a leveling system and that it just adds so much overhead whereas you know we, we, we can get close enough with mechanics like on the pressure you have no adjustment but the mm. bed is like it's it, it's sort of tram right it's, it's sort of flat um, sort of. yeah sort of 
Right. It doesn't have to be perfect because we have software correcting for that. <laughs> um, and the prints, the prints are good, right? There's no, unless you like printing at a 10 degree slanted bit, like, of course, that's going to give you some issues. Well, I, I'm wondering about, uh, about one point, which maybe you might be able to ask, does the uh, bed level compensation only work in the first couple of layers or will this like gradually get lower and lower until it's not used anymore because you're kind of distorting your print with that you are not okay so what what you're thinking about is basically you're skewing the print you're taking like a exactly yeah that is not what's happening because what is actually happening and and it's always been this case i think is it's actually uh translating the model or, or rotating ah, okay. the model so it's not just shifting like if you're printing a straight tower Mm -hmm. It's not just shifting that the Z direction is also shifting X and Y to basically lean the model onto your print. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to get distorted prints. Um, and so typically throughout the entire print, so in the, the entire height, that correction is, is on. Um, I've seen him do it that there is an option to taper it out after like a centimeter or two. So you get perfectly flat, mechanically mm -hmm. flat layers. Though I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that because in that case, yes, you, now you do get distorted models where your bottom is like tilted and then the top is perfectly flat, but those aren't, you know, parallel to each other. At least that's how I understand it. So yeah, typically you're going to get that correction throughout the entire print. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I can understand that if you are doing like a three-point leveling approach, but for the Prusa now, I do like a 49-point leveling approach where I get like a whole right. surface. How does it work right there? Because that actually should make it kind of hard. Right. Um, so the way the way I understand it is it's it's always using that that tilted plane um, mm -hmm. to do the translation. Okay. Is is it actually translation or is translation just lateral movement? It's the rotation. like a, a transformation. Transformation. Yeah, transformation matrix that's, that's being used on, on every coordinate. So it's 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 like fitting a plane into what you're seeing, and then I don't know exactly how it's doing like the distortion if you have a, a warped or a, mm. a cupped bit. Um, I believe that is actually something that's being faded out over a few layers, so that you know you get your first few you know, two, three layers that are um, like shaped to mm -hmm. conform to the bed and then you get flat surfaces after that. Okay. Because, well, I have been releasing the, which is the best layer height for strength video. And so many people were <sighs> commenting about like the magic layer height numbers, <laughs> like always using a full, is it like, yeah, always using like a full step of the stepper motor. Yeah which is 0.04 millimeters for most of the machines with the with the lead screws you're usually it, using. Yeah, it really it, depends it, what lead it, screws it, it depends. So if you would have like this, if your C-axis would be moving all of the time, that would also kind of screw up with that idea. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> yes, so, because well, because each layer won't be printed at the same Z height. The Z height will be changing all of the time. Yeah, isn't that isn't that perfect? Um, so the but at the same position, you would have the same 
layers are uh, the same sea height again. Uh, yeah, so it's if if you if you're looking at a printer or if uh, if you're looking at a Z axis and you're looking at it um basically just doing full steps let's let's go really simple so it, it does full steps mm -hmm. you have that staircase pattern and yeah. essentially if you have a um if you have that model slightly slanted then you have you know that staircase pattern just perfectly lined up like yeah almost perfectly like with a few microns shifted um perfectly lined up each layer so no problem there if you, if you want to be using magic layer heights perfect go yeah. for it um no you're right there you're really right there however <laughs> and this is this is the note that we have in the script so we, we know exactly what we're talking about here uh, or why we're talking about it is you now also get dithering and if you're not familiar with well i don't know if it's if it's technically dithering but it's something along those lines so if you think about those staircase patterns perfectly lining up if you have something if you have a layer height that isn't like perfectly matched to your steps you don't get thick layer thin layer, thin layer, thick layer. You don't get that pattern, but because your Z-axis is constantly moving, you're getting those staircase patterns, but now they're just not lining up. They're slightly shifted. Mm. And the thing is that that stair height is not significant enough to be super visible in your printer. It's kind of like what you get, get on a Delta printer, right? Um, where you always have a bit of that tree ringing effect if your stepper drivers and, and motors don't match up. It's just now on the z-axis and it's it's like you're not going to be able to see that so those magic layer heights if you have a printer with z active z leveling um auto bed leveling whatever you want to call it there's so many terms for this now it's literally layer heights stop being an issue at that point okay because it's always bad no it's always good it's always <laughs> it's like anti no anti-aliasing is, is a bad comparison for that how, how, do, how do we compare how do we, how do we describe this i mean i, I guess you, you guys get what, what i mean like you you're never perfectly on your perfect layer height and that's the problem with that mm. with that um magic layer height is you want your printer to be perfectly on there and if you're not using full steps you won't perfectly land on there mm. but because it's constantly moving in z z um you're always like slightly off and it's kind of like you're adding a bit of noise to your z-axis movement mm. so kind of hides any any like mismatches yeah <laughs> so probably a good thing if you have stepper motor drivers that have proper micro stepping if you don't have z well again i uh, I, I don't think it's an i i think the 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 difference between your perfect z position and the actual z position if you're off from a microstep is not as much of an issue anymore if you have like a constantly moving z-axis mm. if you just have um like flat layers then yes microstepping is important but as soon as you have c-left like it, it stops being an issue okay of course at that point backlash becomes an issue Okay. Um, <laughs> which maybe, maybe Blowspot is onto something here. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So in your uh, opinion, autobat leveling or however you want to call it is actually a good thing and you prefer it over... It just makes, it just makes things easier. Yeah. Right? I, I do like a good flat bed that is just, you know, 
really nice thick and and milled or a nice glass well glass as we saw is not a perfect material but a nice thick aluminum sheet like of course if if we can get that working but there's so many more strings attached to that setup that i think it's it's just way easier and way more approachable to have an automatic probe okay if you it's if it's like temperature compensating yeah. and if it actually works so you might have convinced me there <laughs> Just, I mean, you're using Prusa, right? I can literally see it behind you. You've got the Mark II there. Where is it? There is it. Well, I, I like it and it's working. It's perfectly working. But I know for a fact that my bed is like, uh, it's not flat. It's it's really not yeah. flat, like almost by half of a millimeter. Has it ever been an issue? It has never been an issue there exactly. were there were some some firmware versions when the bed leveling wasn't working properly but also now with the 49 point bed leveling it is not an issue anymore but still i would feel better if i would have a a flat bed from the start yeah uh different question have you ever looked into how much a part warps when you take it off of a hot heated bed have you ever <laughs> looked into how much parts like to cup out um <sighs> Yeah, yeah, because that that is actually like orders of magnitude more distortion than you get even with a with a totally warped PCB bed. Okay, yeah, you are right there. That yeah. maybe staying on that topic, I may I might be getting a really nice uh, 3D scanner in the future for Ooh. just a a not like a rental. They they borrow it to me. Um, I don't know if it's official at the moment, but I'm really looking forward to maybe doing tests like these so also if if anyone has like cool ideas what would be interesting to test with a proper horribly expensive 3d uh, 3d scanner let me know let me know i i really want to make some some cool sciencey videos about that nice nice is that uh, from from the einscan guys or no. are you getting no, no. okay no no <laughs> better <laughs> <laughs> because they've they've been offering me a, another three D scanner to test too, but I guess that's a. a I've been talking. Trait. I've ta been talking with the guys from Shining. Like yeah, that, that's the answer. At the guys. end Shining of 3D. yeah, at the end of last year, but uh, we didn't really figure something out. And then another company approached me like a couple of weeks ago, and um, yeah, I'm just currently seeing or trying to figure out what I can do with a three D scanner. And when I have time to work with it, and then I hopefully gonna get a nice machine. And uh, I want to do well analysis, like how accurate are 3D prints actually, and not just using calipers. Really take a look at the whole part. Yeah. Uh, how much do they warp? How much might they warp during annealing, and all of these things. And um, even though this is. I wouldn't really call it like a sponsored thing because I don't get any money or something like that. I just get their machine and I want to use that machine to do these investigations where such machine is, is essential to get yeah, nice, absolutely. proper calibrated results out of it. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's a great opportunity. Yeah. What's, what's your, what's the software you're going to be using? Um, just like I always use for um, the, the comparisons I use uh, GOM inspect, which is right. a, free software package that those guys are delivering and where you can do great measurements on 3d scanned data you can do 
uh, like checking between geometry or like uh, nominal geometry and, and 3D scan. So everyone who who is doing anything with 3D scanning, try out GOM Inspect. It's so nice. It's really so nice and really user friendly and so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> even right. even if you're only doing uh, photogrammetry work and have a reference length in there you can put it in there you can precisely measure that reference distance and then calculate your calculate your uh scaling factor out of it right. it's it's just it's nice i love it nice yeah because I've, you know the software is, is such a huge part in doing those analyses um, by default if you, if you just get a point cloud or, or your stl out it's just like okay but... mm. What they do with this now? It's yeah. <laughs> it's a nice it's a nice chunk of like solid hull, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So that's uh, the topic of the week. I've been markering this uh, this audio track, so I hope that makes it a bit easier for you editing this one this time, right? Yes, I'll be editing. Right. And I'll add markers because people are requesting it all of the time. Yeah, timestamps. I mean, we, I don't think we've we've totally figured out how to do the timestamps yet. Well, so I, they, I they will actually show up in the apps. Uh, yes. There, there is a way to do this, but okay. if you guys know how to add timestamps to like podcast recordings, like I, I, I'll open up uh, Pocket Cast here, and you can you know, probably yeah here. Totally incorrect. Um, you can just jump through the topics, and it's like here. Okay. I'll show that to you too. There's like literally a topic okay. queue there. Uh, cool. Oh, stop. <laughs> so um, I, I added uh, timestamps in uh, podcast thirteen, and I think that was kind of appreciated. In the last podcast, somebody else did the timestamps, which is also highly appreciated, but. I just added those as a comment so they won't yeah. be recognized in any podcast player because yeah. the podcast player don't like get their content from YouTube they get it from the mp3 we all, which we also upload yeah. but yeah we'll we'll figure something out yeah if, if you guys have a tip uh, we are using podlove as the WordPress plugin that's doing all the the podcast stuff um, if you guys know how to do it there please let us know much appreciated should we move on to questions yes let's move to questions Mihai was asking hopefully I pronounced it properly uh, if you can over dry your filaments or if uh, drying your filaments can also have a negative effect uh, as far as I have read you can over dry your filament at some point the, the additives kind of can seep out of the plastic uh, Think li things like plasticizers and all of that which is connected so don't dry them too long don't dry them too hot and with too hot also comes the other problem if you dry them too hot um, you either melt the material fuse everything together melt your spool if you're unlucky and have a abs on a pla spool <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which i have <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and if you, for example, uh, use materials like PLA or PET, which do crystallize out at some point, uh, you can change the printing behavior. Also, in the positive direction, for example, the Polymaker filament, the jam-free filament, is annealed PLA. So there is annealed yeah. PLA on the spool that it doesn't soften as fast in your hot end. So even yeah. though you have heat creep it will not get soft that quickly 
Yeah, um, I think Protopass, they've also experimented with that. I have some samples, some, some pre-annealed PLA mm-hmm. samples. Um, I don't think they're actually selling it. I haven't tried it yeah. on my own yet, but um, if you take a look at the Polymaker site, you can find information on the jam-free technology. And yeah, they are they are annealing the filament. So it's basically compensating for shitty hardens. <laughs> yes. Right. So you're stuck with a just get a just get a decent heat break. Yeah. Yeah, What about what about nylons where moisture is actually an essential part of how the plastic or how the polymer performs? There is, I think the the print dry guys have been going on something like the the, Uh, the guys I interviewed at at Murph were like, ah, no, we can't do nylon because the moisture changes the filament. And I'm no polymer science guy. but I think like a nylon, if it's if it's dry, it's it, it, the drier it is, the better it is to print, right? I'm also not a polymer guy, <laughs> but yes, I think that as well. So with nylons, water is act, acting as the, as a plasticizer. So yeah. the thing you really need to look out for if you print a nylon part, it will change its properties and its size and stiffness and all of these things. If you just leave it in your office for a couple of days, yeah, and, be and aware not, of that. Not just buy a bit, but dramatically change its properties. De- depending had... on the nylon, but yeah, that is that is a thing. And if you have like parts, injection molded parts, they often get, uh, you kind of put them in a humidity box for a while yeah. so that they have the moisture content that they will also just like pick up over time during use. Yeah um i've i've seen i've seen that that exact like plasticizing of the material with the mark forged materials where even with the carbon fiber stuff fresh off the printer it's like mm, it's nice it feels rigid it's like an abs mm. and then you leave it out for a week or two and it's just like it's it's like a semi-flex it's like one of those 95a mm. uh, materials where it's just like um so yeah that's that's probably one of those that does take up a lot of, of water and, and plasticize in that way yeah. but yeah for, for printing the I drier the you, better you just, usually you just need to dry yeah but yeah as i said don't dry it too long um the the additives can seep out i don't know at which point that happens but i have just read that somewhere it's well i guess it's, it's all it's the, the classic like you you have too much temperature for too long you mm. cook in it, it it starts breaking down like of course if it's not as bad as if you leave it in the hot, hot and at too high of a temperature for too long, where it actually starts charring. Um, but yeah. So what what would you say is like a, a good temperature and time for for drying stuff? So well, slightly under the glass transition temperature for I usually dry it for twelve to twenty four hours. Oh, that long? Yeah. And you use you use just your regular oven or? <sighs> I have been using my oven. That is working usually totally fine. I open the door from time to time just to get the like slightly moist air out yeah. of out of it. But I also bought a food dehydrator that I just like let run right. in my basement and it's doing the same thing. And I well don't have to be attention about additives that seep out being stuck in my oven and then ending yeah. up on my pizza next time. Yeah. Um, I usually dry my stuff if it's 
just well my ones take a bit longer i usually do like two hours at most but if it's a ptg that you can see is a bit too stringy usually just a quick like an hour at what 60 degrees or something uh will take care of most of the the issues mm. that you're seeing um i do have a pyrolysis oven so i'm not too worried about the additives i just i just nuke them every once in <laughs> once in a while <laughs> then then scoop up the the dust that, or the, the ash that falls down <laughs> yeah um martin is asking how do you print a g-code file that was sliced for a 0.4 millimeter nozzle on a printer that has a 0.8 millimeter nozzle i at first said well you can't but thinking about that for a longer time i think it should even work it's not going to be pretty it's not going to be pretty but uh it will print so i as i've said in the beginning i have been printing files with an 0.25 millimeter nozzle that were sliced with an 0.4 millimeter profile and those came out more prettier than the 0.4 millimeter nozzle prints yeah because if you look at how a a nozzle is built usually using a wider extrusion width is not as much of an issue as using a small one obviously um but the, the, the E3D designs for their nozzles are the flat on the end is, I think, two and a half times the nozzle diameter. So if you have a um, 0.4 millimeter nozzle, that flat is going to be a millimeter in diameter. Mm-hmm. So you could go up to almost a millimeter in extrusion width with that 0.4 millimeter nozzle and still get like that, that squished down nice look to it. Um, but Martin is asking the other way around. So obviously you, you want less extrusion width so like it's not going to be it's not going to get swished down it's actually going to have to drop into like a, a shape that it doesn't want to be in no he doesn't or does he what's last print that has oh yeah you're right sorry yeah i totally mixed that up yeah that, so that, that's going to be horrible <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely not gonna it's still gonna print because like the the volume of material that's extruded yeah. is is not dependent on the nozzle size but yeah, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Okay, so just just um, to get get onto the question again. So he has a file that was sliced with a standard 0.4 millimeter nozzle yeah. profile, but he has a printer that has an 0.8 millimeter nozzle. So you are kind of using a way smaller extrusion width than your nozzle is, and that's exactly. usually not a good thing. Exactly, because if you if you think about how like that. I'm thinking about poop right now because it's a good analogy. If you if you're thinking about how how that is is being squished down, like typically you have a slightly wider extrusion width, yeah. and it gets squished down and, and and kind of spreads out. But if you have a smaller extrusion width, you're kind of just pulling your extrusion into that shape, and you're mm-hmm. not going to get good adhesion. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not gonna be pretty. However, have you, well, uh, Stefan? Have have you tried uh, STL reconstruction? Have you tried that? Uh, I think last week or last last time that's been a topic where you take a G code and you reconstruct an STL out of that. I have, people have been commenting some stuff. Yes, on that. I have never used it. Yeah. So me neither. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be an option. So you basically take the pre-sliced G code regenerate an STL out of it and just, just re-slice it for the nozzle you're using. It's probably not going to be pretty as well. Well, if you go into a larger nozzle, like 
your detail isn't an issue. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think that should be fine, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It, <laughs> it, it could be working. It would be really interesting to try out for once. <laughs> yeah. And how often you can actually do that. Oh, yeah. Generational losses. Yeah. <laughs> um, let, let me actually note that into my, my video list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that That's probably going to be a really clickbaity clickbaity youtube title how often can you reconstruct your g-code file or something like that it would probably be really interesting to take a look how a like a benchy turns out after doing this pro oh, procedure for 10 times have, have you tried the same or the same generational lasting on on like mp3s or jpegs where you <laughs> JPEGs. Where, you where, you, where you save a JPEG with like 10% uh, size or like a you know, lowest quality, then you open it up and save it again. It's, oh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, probably like that. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah. And I we, guess we, we did it. <laughs> we did it. And we are one, yeah, 120. <laughs> 120 is fine. Yeah. Oh, how our standards have changed. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spending that much time with us right here. Yeah. Thank you, Stefan, for taking the time to record this magnificent episode. Perfect. I'm always really enjoying doing these episode recordings with you, Tom. Ah, oh, fantastic. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's all mine. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do we say as an outro? Like, subscribe, hit the bell leave a rating on itunes support us on patreon um exactly. yeah do all those things um as veritasium has recently explained like hitting that bell is kind of important <laughs> on youtube yes after 22 10 23 minutes he said that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right guys uh, so uh yeah thanks and until next time huh? goodbye Bye. oh leave your questions what? in the comments oh yeah we tweet about us we yeah. also tweet those at the melt zone. Bye. Goodbye.